This podcast was sponsored by Latinas B2B.marketing, where understanding the power of sales and marketing technology can elevate your business strategy. Go to Latinas B2B.marketing slash services to get your entrepreneurial business journey started today. Gracias. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is the podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, mi gente, and welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I'm so excited to have Noelle Silver as my guest today. Noelle is a multi-award winning technologist and entrepreneur who specializes in helping companies with emerging technology, cloud, AI, and Web 3.0. She has led teams at NPR, Microsoft, IBM, and Amazon Alexa, and is a consistent champion for public understanding of the ethical use of AI and tech fluency. She is the founder of AI Leadership Institute and is an AI executive at IBM. She recently launched inclusioninspires.com to help teach women and people of color how to use the power of technology and influence to achieve success in business. She was recently awarded the Microsoft Most Valuable Professional Award for Artificial Intelligence, as well as Venture Beats Woman in AI Responsibility and Ethics. Let's welcome Noelle to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. So, Noelle Silver is joining us. How did you get started on this journey into tech? You know, because we're both Latinas here, and it's very interesting how the paths came to be crossed, I say. But it was a good crossing out there in Modesto. Modesto! Let's go, Modesto. Women tech makers, shout out. Yes, it was. Uh, what an amazing event. But yeah, my my career started off, actually, I guess it was Y2K, right? I always try to be very transparent about my background. It took me decades to have this level of comfort in sharing mm -hmm. my background. But when I was in high school, I just did not learn high school. way. Now they'd call me an entrepreneur, right? The way that I learn, the way that I work. But back then that was not a cool thing to say, right? Maybe a mm -hmm. hustler. <laughs> right, then, hustler. Not, like it wasn't, you know, it's as uh, brightly looked upon as it is right now. But uh, in high school, you know, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. I was, I felt like I was always smarter than my teachers. I gave them a very hard time. I was always <laughs> a discipline problem, which is funny now because people are like, what? You're, you're so not a discipline. You know, you seem so nice. Like back then I was just like, I just had enough of it. You know, at the end of the day, when you are mean to people, I was pushing the <laughs> buttons of my teachers. Right. Um, one of the, I mean, they ultimately had the power to graduate me or not. And one of those uh, wonderful teachers was like, I'm not graduating you. You know, Ooh. you think you're all big and bad. I'm not going to graduate you. You're going to be great. Go into customer service, go into food service, go into retail. You're really good with people. Oh my um, God. But you don't need to go to college. That's what they said. No. And so, needless to say, I was in 11th grade and uh, I, I took the SATs and the ACTs. I did very, very well on those tests. Mm -hmm. And so I just early applied to university. 
and left. Like I literally left before I even got my diploma. I never to this day do not have a diploma in high school um, or a high school diploma. I know. And then I went to college and did kind of the same thing. I tried like really hard. I think I failed out of my first semester, but they were like, it's okay. As long (laughs) as you're willing to pay for it, we'll let you keep failing. Right. So $100,000 I spent (laughs) on that education. I didn't learn a thing. I mean, other than maybe a little bit about like, I don't know what I don't want and what I don't like to do. But I I ended up staying three years, racking up $100,000 in debt. And then Y2K happened and I just left. I decided, I mean, I was already early because I left high school early to go to school. And then I was there. And so now I'm kind of like two years ahead of my peers. I was always the designated driver (laughs) because I was always the young one in the group. But it was really interesting because I was always told, even as a, I, I think there were three women in my class in university at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And it was very interesting to me because even then it was a very technical school. So the mm-hmm. path was starting to be laid, but I was encouraged by my advisor to go into business <laughs> because I'm a people person. Like you don't need to be in computer science or avionics, which is what I wanted to do. They were like, go into business. Business is easy. You can graduate, hmm. you know, like, and, That's really uh, interesting. And so instead of doing that, I I left school and uh, went to work. My very first job was actually at Boeing as a training component builder. Like it was like game development back then mm. where I was building cockpit training components. Some of that code is still in these training simulators today, but I didn't know anything. Like I wasn't classically trained in software engineering. Um, I went to Barnes & Noble and taught myself to code and then went to work for Boeing <laughs> to build it. Oh my God. So there is a side hustle. And this actually dovetails into the recent podcast I did with Liliana Monhe down in Sabio in LA. Their business teaches folks to code, to learn how to be a software engineer, or just basic uh, certification for yes. Google. And none of those folks, most of them don't have degrees. So it's interesting. I think I think there just has to be a component of curiosity in what you want to do. And just another segue into what you just mentioned, because I read an article recently in the New York Times that talked about the biases of letting women of color in aviation and how you don't see them represented as... Yes. Uh, flying planes. And it's interesting to see that industry not letting a lot of women of color pursue their dreams of flying. Yeah. And the way that it happens is not as all bias, is not overt, not even really malicious. It's these side, tiny side conversations with Mm -hmm. white women or men advisors that are like, you should be in business. You should go into international cargo management, which was one of the other suggestions I got from an advisor, Mm -hmm. right? Why can't I go into avionics? Because I was young. I didn't even think to ask that. I was just like, oh, business. Okay. That seems like, I mean, you're doing this in my best interest, right? And it's actually, this is why bias is so interesting is Mm -hmm. that it's systemic. They don't even realize that they're looking at me and going, I cannot conceive of you as a pilot. And therefore I wouldn't put you on a path to failure. They, they mm-hmm. in their mind, think they're helping me. Like my economics professor, I kind of say it, that story with a bit of spite, but he was very kind in that moment. He was like, I'm helping you go be successful in food service. You're going to be great there. Go be successful in customer in retail. 
You're, you mm-hmm. will rock it. And he honestly, like, I think he thought he was helping me. But what happens is, is that especially if we don't have a lot of self-confidence in these moments, a lot of self-awareness in these moments, we listen. And even if we don't listen, we just, we get knocked down a little bit. So much yeah. so that maybe we don't change career paths. Maybe we don't take the path towards aviation. Just enough, enough of a whisper of like, oh, I don't think that's going to work out for you for us to choose not to do it. And for minorities specifically, for women of color, it's easy for us to believe someone when they say you don't belong here. We're like, you know, you're right. We're, we're the only ones with brown and curly hair. We're the only ones who have a slight accent when we speak. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like it's easy for us to say, okay, and, and just walk away from those opportunities. So it's not surprising that the New York Times has uncovered that. Um, it is kind of sad, though. I say the same thing about people with disabilities, physical disabilities in tech, right? Like I look around and I'm like, how is it possible that they represent double digits as part of our humanity? Mm-hmm. And there's no, I've never once worked with someone in a wheelchair. I've never once worked with someone with physical disabilities. I've never even interviewed. And I've interviewed hundreds of people across Amazon, Microsoft, you know, and the companies that I've worked for. I've never once interviewed someone in a wheelchair. Like, how is that really possible? It's, right. There's something wrong. Like, there's something wrong if if a portion of our world never even sees the door, right? It's right. never even in the, in the room. So, yeah, very similarly. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, topic. I'd love to actually talk with somebody about that because yeah. I was when I was at Google, actually, in the research team, they had a separate building and they actually had the accessibility studies, right? And they had this van that cruised around, too, that would go to where folks with disabilities, uh, specifically in wheelchairs and also hearing and sight, they'd bring them into this building and they would work with them to understand how they can work their platform for folks with uh, disabilities, making it more accessible. But it was interesting, but I did not see that many people in wheelchairs other than going to that building, right, for testing. That's right. Other than people that are getting studied or asked questions of, Mm -hmm. like, why wouldn't we have that level of inclusion where they are part of those teams, right? What's the best way to find out? Again, and echo or amplify the needs of an of an organization, like include them in the development of those things and not as research subjects, like as actual team members. It's it's shocking to me, honestly, after 20 years, how little those demographics show up in our companies. Yep. I mean, this is taking us down the path I really want to get into. So one of the things we're talking about is accessibility, how we're not represented in industries, and how we want to be a part, or we should be a part of those product teams. I've been saying this for days, right? Like, how do we get on those product teams, especially in the places where we use most of that technology? I mean, there is not a moment we don't go throughout our day without working or handling some part or working with technology to get our day done. And if you don't use any technology, you're on a detox, like, retreat somewhere and you're in a cave. That's all I got to say. Good for you. Like, Yeah, and good for you (laughs) if you're doing that. So, Noelle, one of the things that you talk about, and I've heard it, is in your reels. You're very active on LinkedIn. You do a lot of social posts on IG, which we're going to give people that information to follow you after this. 
you talk about when you start to build the products or these companies that have these product teams, right? They're creating things that are supposed to make our lives better, right? You want to solve a problem. And you even said this, right? If you want to have something you want to build, we all have these passion projects like, oh, this would be so cool to make. Or, oh, my God, you know, if we made this better, you know, this would be amazing. You know, whatever that idea is. Yes, we need it in these products and services out there to build it, but is it solving a problem? That's the baseline. Yes. So I'm kind of teeing this up like a golf ball. So (laughs) there's the product you want to make to solve the problem. But how do you talk to somebody who wants to build or create the next great expensive hamburger or spaghetti sauce? Right. Or yes. Or the next Netflix series or whatever. Something, right? There's like this category that's overwhelming and how you differentiate yourself versus solving a problem. That is so hard. So I want to hear your take on this. You're right. This is something I'm very, very passionate about um, because I've been on teams where the agenda of what they were building was predefined. It was often a leader. Jeff Bezos, who's like, we're building this thing. So like my experience started, well, one of the experiences I had was Jeff Bezos saying, we're going to build a kitchen appliance for the 1% of the 1%. It's going to be a box of some sort that sits in a kitchen and people are going to talk to it. So what kind of stuff would we do specifically for this demographic of people? And in hindsight, right, when that happened, of course, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be one of the 1%. I want a device for my kitchen. Like I I just went right along with it, which is what most product teams do. We just go along with the cool idea. We don't really think about it. But Alexa was a really great example of what happens when you build specifically an artificial intelligence product Mm -hmm. and you don't really consider its kind of breadth of capability, right? So we did not in those early years consider things like what would it do for kids in classrooms, what would it do for kids in speech therapy who are trying to, you know, speak more clearly? We mm-hmm. I use it all the time now for my son. What would it do for people in nursing homes, right? Or for aging mm-hmm. populations to increase their independence? These are like now very critical paths for Alexa in very large demographics of people. But the product wasn't built that way. It wasn't even thought of. Like nobody looked around and went, I wonder how this might be used. Like we literally said we had an agenda that was given to us. And so oftentimes, whether it's our own agenda or whether it's an agenda from an executive that you're, if you're working at a company, we don't take a moment. We call, Now I call it like design justice to think through mm. what is this product capable of? Not just the happy path. Oh my gosh, it can help the 1% of the 1% have a better kitchen experience. But also <laughs> what are some other maybe divergent thinking around this? is to have a divergent team, right? To have people who think differently, who have different experiences, who are Latinas or from New Jersey, right? Who are Mm -hmm. from, you know, South Florida, who are from Central California. Like all of us have very different experiences and it doesn't have to be, they're not special. I don't need to necessarily be accessibility driven, but I have a dad who has accessibility issues. I started bringing that up. I'm a mindfulness person. I love mindfulness and kindness. I started asking if we could build for that. The challenge I think many people have is they get a cool idea and they kind of think naively, 
of course the world wants this. Of course they do. <laughs> right. right. Like, of course the 1% of the 1% would want this. And what I invite people to do is now not only, yes, of course, you've got this idea. I'm a believer. If you get a good idea, awesome, go with it. But the next, very next thing, once you've established that idea is to go and validate that with the world, like yes. map it to a need that the the world is saying, you can go to Reddit right now and see people complaining about just about anything, which is for an <laughs> entrepreneur, right? But full of opportunity, right? Like all the right. products have, here's everything wrong with it. Here's mm-hmm. all the gaps in understanding about certain subjects. Like you can go to a bunch of different locations to find out what's the world actually like upset about missing like wish existed and then tie your cool idea for spaghetti to something like that, right? Make yeah. sure that the world is actually asking for the thing that you want. And in our case, the world was not asking for this 1% of the 1% device, but they were asking for help in the classroom. They were asking for a way to create technology that young people could get around. They were asking for reducing friction for customers to be able to speak right. to tech and right. So we were able yeah. to get there haphazardly, but mm-hmm. it should be much more intentional. Uh, and a lot of people miss that part. Agreed. I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's a fine line, though, because what people try to do is to establish a design concept that people will migrate to, right? So when you talked about Jeff Bezos saying, oh, we want to make this kitchen appliance that for the 1% of the 1%, it's like, okay, how do you do that? But you're intentional about like, it can be broader and bigger and help a lot more people. But at the same time, there are people that do see these very audacious design creations like Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos. And people are like, they want to follow them because they've created something that people don't even know that they want. That's what it is. It's like, oh, we create the things that... People don't even know what they want. And then when they see it, it's going to be amazing. And that's like a very, I want to say that's a very narcissistic, you know, concept. And it can be for sure. Yeah. But also let's take it from the perspective of women versus men in technology. So when you look Mm -hmm. at the men that have created that, where are the women, right? And then people will say, oh, look at Elizabeth, you know, Holmes and the whole thing there and la, 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 la. You know, there's a lot of arguments we could have. The point we're trying to make here is that you have to have a diverse team because people will bring up the issues that say, hey, there are these people outside of the room we're not considering and they exist. So you bring that existence into those conversations, which is what I love and I feel like, This conversation was meant to be because I have been on that path through tech. I've seen it. You have. And we're bringing it forward. And we also have this very other common thread, which I was very excited. And I almost, you know, my hair fell out, is that when I started this journey of podcasting about tech and inequity, women of color and tech, I talked about Dr. Sophia Novell, who wrote the amazing book, Algorithms of Oppression. And you are her friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yesterday, I'm sure you know, if you don't know her, I'll mention her. But yesterday I was on a call with Professor Ruha Benjamin. She's mm-hmm. also one of the African-American 
ethicist at Princeton. She Mm -hmm. does very similar work, tangential, of course, but very similar work in racial bias. She wrote like, I think it's called race to technology, race to tech or race to technology. We could like add it in, but it, it is incredible because she was talking about the impact of, you know, basically systemic racism on Mm -hmm. all of these things that we're building. And it's so true. You know, I deal with this all the time with hiring systems, like any system that's implementing AI is trained Mm -hmm. on data, right? That was created from the world experience. And so if you do nothing, you are going to amplify the world's view and the world's view is racist, right? Like it has racial, you know, biases all over it. And it's not bad. It's just human. So we're amplifying this human capability. And so it's interesting now because now we're starting to see companies come up and their job is to build models Mm -hmm. that are inherently like intentionally biased Mm -hmm. to combat the bias in these other systems, right? So they're they're basically biased in the opposite way, right? So they're biased directly towards African-Americans so that we can add that data set into existing models and make them more woke, Right, yes. make them more aware. Right, but it's so fascinating to me. You know, like there's so many amazing women. I did an entire TikTok series on like 12 African American women, uh, black women in artificial intelligence that were changing the world. Ruha is awesome. one of them. I saw mm-hmm. her yesterday, and I was like, "This is amazing!" Like, and it's not a problem that's going to go away. If anything, it's going to get worse yeah. if we don't identify it. And all one of the easiest way to fix this bias is to have people sitting around at that table, literally, right, that are building this technology that don't all look the same, act the same, talk the same. And it's very difficult because if you look at technology in general, its leaders are a demographic. I mean, even at my own company, which I love, like I went to the top of that company and I don't see a woman for layers. Mm -hmm. Like I don't see an (laughs) African-American, like a a Latina, are you kidding Right. Like it's one of the reasons I decided to become an executive. I was like, oh, I have to do this because there are Mm -hmm. so few of us to raise our voice and make a way. But yeah, it's just very critical right now because every single product on the planet that we are either using now or will use in the next five years are being built by teams that don't represent the world. They literally represent Silicon Valley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And this is the the problem. This is the big problem. This is why we're like, you got to kick the door down. And yep. there are lots of reasons that can be made that I hear all the time that that are still very weak, in my opinion. And there's a lot of people surrounding this in a very kind of, yes, we're trying, we're trying, but it's not, oh gosh, you know. Yes. The DEI initiatives. Yes. And I've had one person tell me and just say straight to my face, I'm like, you know, it's not really about me. It's about all these other Latinas that are here for this summit. And we're all trying to figure out how to get into tech when, you know, 50% of them are contract workers and they're trying to get that, you know, pay equity. And here you guys are hiring them as contract workers and giving them the false bait. So that needs to change big time yeah. because they do have the influence, but they're holding on to their jobs as well. So I, I totally get it. And I was told it's above their pay grade, which you're exactly right. Hitting the nail on the head. It comes from the top. And when you see that layer, it's really hard to break yeah. through. And there are if there are no women at that layer, mm-hmm. that 
that pain of, hey, have we done the research? Have we collected the data around how many contractors we have and how many of them are women and people of color? And how many of them, how long have they stayed in these contract roles? And when we hire them, what rate do we hire them at versus a white male who comes off the street right out of, you know, a, you know, with the exact same or maybe even less experience? Mm-hmm. Like this data exists if we choose to collect it, but we need leadership that actually knows to ask the question and is open to hearing an answer. I call it mindful leadership, right? We have to we have to have people that just think differently. Luckily, I think we do. We're starting to see these leaders emerge. I actually do think Arvind at IBM and uh, Satya Nadella at uh, Microsoft, mm-hmm. I think they are signs of this. But even then, I'm like, okay, then who reports to you? And if you if you don't have that level of inclusion in your direct reports, it's very hard for me to be like, okay, you got this, right? Like I, it causes me to be concerned that at the highest level of most companies, I mean, I just saw... What was that article? Oh, Time. Time magazine just did a, a whole piece on people who have done first things in the world. Mm-hmm. And they did an article on this woman who is the CEO of Procter & Gamble, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And she's a Latina. First CEO ever. This article just came out in 2022. You know when she became CEO? In 2017. Wow. I mean, like... When when was that going to be a story? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, I mean, for all she could be out of that job already, for all I know. Right. But I right. just think we, it's interesting how the world sees these things, um, and when they choose to make it an issue worth caring about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you bring up many, many good points there. Like, yeah, why was she not brought up to the surface in this day and age of you know, like here, let's represent. Our community, because Procter and Gamble makes diapers. Okay, I'm sorry. Who's <laughs> using diapers? Yeah. <laughs> and now we're going to take a quick break. We often talk about starting our own business or new product and service, and how do we start that? How do we transition our skill set into a new career opportunity? At Latinas B2B.marketing, we can help guide you through your journey as we've helped our clients through their assessment of their business and marketing strategies to help them create new revenue streams or new marketing channels that helps optimize their online presence. You can learn more at latinasb2b.marketing or sign up for our newsletter for the next workshop. That's latinasb2b.marketing. Gracias. You know, we don't have to go into how divided things have become over the last few years, but the thing is women are really taking control of a lot of this change. Women are at the forefront of a lot of movements. And I think that the more awareness we create because of our social circles and how we, you know, share information over these platforms, which I've said many times, it becomes a wave that we can get behind, right? So when we talk about AI, which you're very passionate about, Big Blue, let's talk about the Big Blue for a minute, because maybe a lot of folks out there, we have a lot of folks, younger folks that listen, and I, I really appreciate <laughs> that. I do. I really do. I love it. Absolutely. But yeah, they may not know who IBM is. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, IBM. I think that's some old company. It's like, I yeah. Mean, I've run into people like uh, where I've mentioned IBM, and I can see them whisper to their friend like, what's IBM? 
So it's a uh, very, you know, and I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know that yeah. thing you're using right now? Yeah, IBM made that. It's interesting because it's the oldest technology company, right? It outlives Amazon, Microsoft. Um, yes. like it is the oldest technology company on the planet. And it really is a cool company to look at its history mm-hmm. because the fact that it survived, you know, 110 years uh, as a technology company is really remarkable, <laughs> right? To be able to pivot as an organization multiple times, right? They used to be the mainframe people. And yep. when I started, they became the microservices or, you know, WebSphere uh, application server, basically the middleware people. And then they moved into now they're really becoming the consulting people, right? So mm-hmm. they're pivoting as the world needs. And that's for a company as large as IBM, like that's really hard to do. So it's surprising, surprising to watch. And sometimes, of course, there are some decades of IBM's history that are better than others. Right. But it's fascinating (laughs) that they were able to survive that, right? Like Mm -hmm. that takes something. That's a special type of culture that you've created that can, that can move with those punches uh, over the decades. And now we're, you know, we're talking about 10 decades of transition and technology change. That's pretty impressive, I think. Yes. I mean, I'm impressed by it. You know, women were actually in the beginning of this as well. I think part of it was for the military and education. And then it just kind of grew out of that. There's that wonderful movie, Hidden Figures, everybody, that has a slight thread into, I want to say Big Blue, because a lot of women at the time were working in computer computing numbers, crunching numbers, and you didn't see them. And, you know, unfortunately, I think Big Blue was a part of that. I mean, the good news is, is one of the things that gave me some heart, like hope, was that IBM was one of the first technology companies to employ women in these fields. Yes, exactly. Like in the Mm -hmm. 60s, I think the very first Mm -hmm. African-American engineer was hired in like Mm -hmm. 50 something, like before they were even allowed, you know, air quotes to work. So not just, you know, people of color, but women in general. But yeah, how, and I think that's always the case, right? Like, okay, we're going to employ them. We scratch a little bit deeper around pay and we scratch a little bit deeper around how did you surface the fact that they were working to the world at that time? How Mm -hmm. public were you about, right? Like, but the reality is, and they're very proud of it. They did employ those people. They did create opportunity where the world was like, oh, we're not sure about these brown people, right? Like IBM actually embraced them. Same with LGBTQ. Like they were one of the first organizations, again, in the 70s to -hmm. start creating a space where they said out loud, you are welcome here. And there are people at the company that came out while working at IBM, like in the 80s, you know, when Mm -hmm. when things, I don't know if you remember, but things were not awesome uh, during that time. But IBM was like a safe place where they felt like they could do that. And I just mm-hmm. think it's interesting because I don't know, I try to always see, obviously, like, wow, that's really good that they did those things. But at the same time, yeah, of course, you're like, you know, wait, we could have done that a little bit better. And wait, how much were you paying them? And, you know, you scratch a little beneath the surface and some other very interesting concepts kind of pop out. Yeah. And they're at the forefront of a lot of this AI technology. It's been talked about for a long time, actually. But it's coming out because it's a little bit easier to program with all the data that is out there today. So everybody's wondering, or maybe you don't wonder, or you don't even know that data is the new gold mines. And people are always wanting to access that. 
Why? Why do they want to do that? Let's see. Because we're on our phones a lot. And every little thing you do on your phone, on the computer, I don't care what you think privacy settings you are, you are creating these little footprints and you are creating a motion of code that is speaking to a behavior of what you as a person are thinking, doing, wanting, needing, everything. That is what artificial intelligence is. When I was at Google, I was finding out some things that, you know, my skin was ready to fall off because I was witnessing there is a group there called Brain and it is all around the next level of AI, which was really crazy to me that you could put something. I'm just going to tell you how nuts it was. I was there and they would program this thing to show you, show me a bird Mm -hmm. in a tree. Like you talk to it and all this data would come together. You can find it on the, on the web now too. Today it's actually been productized. So yeah, (laughs) this was like a few years ago and it's like, show me a bird in a tree singing and all this data would come together and make a picture, a live picture pulling all these amounts of data, that scared the shit out of me. (laughs) So then I'm like, we are in the matrix, man. This is it. This is it. (laughs) This is it. This is it. I'm I'm like, I'm cooked. I'm cooked right now, you know? (laughs) Yes. I think my moment of, I think, awareness was when I was working with a company that actually has very tight ties to Amazon and Facebook as their data provider and collector. Mm -hmm. So these companies, one of the reasons that they were able to do the things that they do and the reasons that the conversations on Capitol Hill were lengthy Mm -hmm. is because Mm -hmm. they made it very complex, right? They didn't Mm -hmm. own the data directly. They didn't collect the data. So there is a lot of ability to kind of shift blame and counter accuse. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But this company that I worked with, I remember working with them on a casino implementation and we were going in and the intention there was to help high rollers, right? People who were, that wanted, when you walked in, you wanted everyone to know your name. So Mm -hmm. they used computer vision, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like it was a good use case because high rollers liked the behavior we were creating for them. However, at the exact same time, we were collecting and using data like you said, all this information that was coming in from the devices that they were using, as well as devices in the facility, right? So cameras, Mm -hmm. sensors. And one of the things that they were doing was they were detecting geolocation in relationship to the bars, right? So somebody Mm -hmm. would lose a lot of money, they'd go and get a drink at a bar, and they would be able to predict to a three minute window when someone was going to leave the premises. And rather than leave, they would give them like a text message that says, oh my gosh, I don't know if you know, but you just won $300. Go to the cashier and you can pick it up. And that $300 would turn into a $3,500 or $4,500 loss for them with, oh or, or gain for the house. And when it, the, the thing that bothered me the most was that there was no conceptual awareness of the fact that there might be humans who have problems with gambling, yes. who are trying to not gamble away their mortgage or, you know, put themselves in a position mm-hmm. where their marriage will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Like there was no concept of this. And I sat mm-hmm. there and that's the first thing I thought of as a maybe as a woman, right? Where I'm like, 
if my husband came home and was like, <laughs> honey, I won 300, but then I lost, you know, 4,800. Like I, I just immediately thought of the human impact. Like, oh, right? Or lost 48,000. <laughs> no, it's so bad. So that was missing. And it was also, mm-hmm. there were no women on these teams that I, mm-hmm. I was an anomaly in this case. And every time I raised my voice and was like, so are we thinking? And they'd be like, this is not for, they could fall on the demographic. These are high rollers. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they explained away their decisions, even though, and this is why AI is so dangerous. The audience that would end up being used against this, it's trained on high roller data, but it ends up impacting people who don't have money to lose. And that is the truth of most AI is that it's Mm -hmm. trained on this really kind of noble concept, like helping the 1% of the 1% in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. but then infringes on, you know, people who have an accent or people who, you know, like don't have clear speech. It's just very interesting to me that we now have created a bit of a mess because we are building products with teams of people who don't know to ask who could get hurt by this. And that's why I call it justice, right? Like design justice, we have to ask those questions now. We know better. We know we can build models that, that hurt people without intention. Like we know how many times have we heard in like DEI conversations, this guy who, uh, did something really bad, but he's a good guy. He has good intentions. He never intended to hurt anyone. Well, New York and California implemented laws in sexual harassment that said it doesn't matter what your intention is. If you do bad stuff, you are still liable for your behavior. And that legislation for AI is coming. Like it has to. And so, yeah, we we have to change the way we do things uh, in these companies. A hundred percent, hundred percent, a thousand percent behind you on that. This is why I started this podcast even early on in the early days. I call it the early days of my first podcast. I had a woman, Lydia Shampole, who has CrossPods, which is a very small network of people of color podcast. And she and I do talk about this. And we were talking about it for covid about how the inequity of health, how that would impact people of color for inequity of health justice, for vaccinations, tracking. You know, we talked about this early on and she actually had her aviator's pilot license and she's an African-American woman. She's wonderful. She was just, you know, telling me all these things. And I said, I can't believe this. And so we got into COVID and how it was going to you know, hurt people and of color and, you know, vaccination. I mean, we weren't like we weren't even talking about vaccinations and we were just yeah. talking about communities of color getting the right information and tracking. And, yeah. oh, gosh, it just went down a hole. But this is what we're trying to do. It, you know, when I bring women on that are in the space, we want to have these real candid conversations, which is why you're here, Noel, because yeah. I always say you're in the belly of the beast. I was there. I'm trying to bring these stories out, but I'm also trying to educate folks that you need to be there. That's what I say. You need to be there and you need to be on these teams. And if you don't want to be there, then go build it yourself because you can. I was just on the IBM website for developers and they have a whole training course there on on artificial intelligence. Oh my gosh, yeah. Even Microsoft. So Microsoft has this thing called the the AI Business School. And so many of you 
listening to this, you know, this isn't a technical podcast, right? So you might be like, oh, I'm not no. in tech. I'm not going to learn to code. But the funny thing or, or maybe ironic thing is that the skill sets we need in AI are actually not the technical ones. We have plenty of engineers and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what color you are. You can write the same code. What we need are those user experience people, yes. we need people who are, you know, socio technology people, people who understand the human impact, who ask questions, honestly, critical thinking. Many of us, there's a few uh, demographic of us that were really good at critical thinking, you know, in school Mm -hmm. and or even liberal arts, psychology, sociology, anthropology, like all of these things, these skill sets that don't seem related to tech are actually extremely necessary in AI. So there's a huge opportunity for you not to get caught up in like, oh, I don't want to learn to code or I don't think I can learn to code. The language is really not about that. I mean, of course, great if you want to do that. But we need a lot more people who can speak and translate business outcomes to technical solutions. I call it the glue, right? We Mm -hmm. need a lot more people to be the glue in these conversations. And, And those are human skills, a little technical but like now, of course, like especially if you have a younger, some people here are, are in the younger audience or generation, they were born technical. Like they were born oh my swiping on an iPhone, right? So you already have enough inherent technical skills to to be able to be a really valid and contributing force in some of these companies. Exactly. And I think what we're saying here is we're the older generation. Yes. So we have this, we're bringing this knowledge from way before you were born. And now you have these super skills. And so we want to marry them together to make you feel yes. confident in saying, you can do this, you can actually build something and you probably do already, but how can you take it to the next level? Right. And it's out there. One of the things that I hear all the time, and we've actually talked on this on a, on a previous podcast is, you know, a lot of women are, you know, have said, I don't like math or I, math was my worst subject. Math is not even a part of it. We just said, you're an anthropology major. I mean, some of my best data scientists mm-hmm. were like geneticists that decided to turn, you know, to move over. I mean, having, I think you had mentioned this actually at the beginning, like one of the most critical things is being like, learn and be curious. It's a leadership yes. principle at Amazon, like that you, your ability to be curious and to continuously learn mm-hmm. is way more important than your mathematical capability. If yes. you want to go and become a researcher in one, you know, in research and development in academia, then mm-hmm. you probably want to know some math. But if you want to help build a product that solves the world's problems with AI, like you don't need that today. Companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Google have all created what we call applied AI models. Mm-hmm. And so now you really just need to know what are the capabilities and understand human problems. Socio-technology, yeah. pro- like we were talking about this before as well. Like what's the world in pain? Like where is the pain? It's almost always when I start a new hackathon, it's the first thing I do is I ask, I'll give you an example. I was over at um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I led a hackathon between data scientists and the curators of art. And it was like an awkward high school dance, right? Where mm-hmm. like, they're both like on separate sides and they're both <laughs> like, who's going to talk to who first, right? Right. But right. then, and so the very first question we asked was, hey, curators, what is painful right now in what you do? Where do you spend your time that you think is a waste that you should not be doing every day? And it instantly popped up things you know, and to use the the coined phrase, there's an app for that, right? It instantly created ideas for like, I can build an app for that. 
we could build an app for that. The challenge was, is that those data scientists and software engineers, they didn't know what to build. Mm. But when you combine it with these people that have a pain and then someone like me who sits in the middle who can facilitate their conversation, that's where magic is born. So there's all sorts of, right? If you're a a DJ, Mm -hmm. right? You can actually create ideas based on the pain of being a DJ, Mm -hmm. combine it with a CTO-like person who can write the technical solution and poof, you've got a startup that can get funded. It's like no other time in history can you use these tools to build on top of the shoulders of these big giant companies and actually build a very successful entrepreneurial effort. Well said. I think that was brilliant. I think that's a mic drop moment right there. I think we're done. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. Boom. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to thank you, Noelle, for being on the show today because this is very impactful to me and to know that you are on the same path of bringing that forward, the social justice, design justice, and technical equity justice, right? You still being there, you know, I stepped out of the realm because I wanted to be more impactful here. I know the universe provides, right? You you complain enough about something and keep moving forward. And then like a way is made where there was no way before. I mean, I, you and I both remember there was a time where they looked us in the eye and were like, you have to be in this office. Yeah. Like you can't do your job from home. And now like, it's just so interesting that we are on the other side of that where really I think organizations can't go back there. There's a, we're seeing that great resignation happen, right? So, yep. you know, if if you choose to make co- people do things that they don't want to do, they they just leave. Right. I love that level of freedom that we've we've started to see. Yeah, and just to end on the note of how you said, you know, great ideas and solving problems come from a pain point. And we are still trying to come out of the biggest pain point of our lives, which is this pandemic. And healthcare, health tech, is a really needed reimagination for a lot of communities of color. So if you were passionate about something during that time and you thought, oh, I don't know if I can do that, right now is the, the perfect time to immerse yourself into that knowledge and see if you can find the people to surround yourself with to build it or to get hired onto a team or with a startup or just start mapping out what you think is a problem from this pandemic. I mean, I see so many things that can happen from yes. what has happened. I mean, we're going to be dealing with the mental health, you know, oh, issues God, from yes. this for a decade, right? And there are mm-hmm. still not enough tools. There are billions of people in pain on the planet. Like if you have, you know, I personally was like, I'm going to build, you know, a conversational agent for people like me that are parents and caregivers, like the sandwich generation, right? That got mm-hmm. them on both ends, yeah. where that conversational agent understands me better and therefore hopefully will understand others. And yet these are like, you have an idea if you get some like, oh my gosh, this is the pain I have, validate it with the world, figure out yes. if the world actually needs it. And then now more easier than ever, you can go build a prototype, a big enough prototype that the world can fund that idea. I mean, it's never been more accessible for you to be able to do that. Where before we had to, right, get resources and find an engineer. And like now the no-code, low-code revolution says you can build a technical solution to a problem in your mind and heart without ever writing a line of code. And so I think that's a pretty powerful time. Yep. 
So this is the Bi-Coastal Podcast, and I'm just really thankful, uh, Noelle, that you had the time. To, I mean, you are incredibly busy, and I love that you were able to give us your time today. And, you know, I hope to, for us to do more things together because this is a journey that a lot of women are starting on that are trying to champion justice in tech. And I think it's much needed. And I'm I'm all here. I'm all in for that. Me too. I'm glad yep. we found each other. <laughs> Me too. Thank you, Modesto. Thank you, Daisy. Gracias, Noel, for joining me today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. And thank you, Central Valley Modesto Women Tech Makers and Bay Valley Tech for putting us Latinas together to discuss the future of technology product justice and bringing new ideas to our future generations. If you'd like to follow Noelle, you can find her on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash mindful leadership or on Instagram at noelle.ai. This podcast was engineered and co-produced by Robert Lopez and produced by Teresa E. Gonzalez of latinasb2b.com. You can follow Latinas from the block to the boardroom on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Latinas B2B. Gracias. <laughs>